Speaking of real, welcome to the podcast. We are the Lanky Guys, and this is the Word in the Hill. That is Scott Powell. Oh, and me? Yeah. And you are Father Peter Musset. Hey, thank you. I you just bet, man. Dude, you know my threw me off for a second. My identity know, was confused. <laughs> Lego my ego. Lego my ego. Lego my ego, indeed, Father Peter. Dude, do you know that? You know why I think I'm in a bad mood right now? Tell me. Because it's hot and humid. Dude, I and can, we're in Colorado. It shouldn't be hot and humid. I know it's like humid. I know. There's I lots the of water. Snow. I want the snow back. Dude, I actually installed an air conditioner in my room. In your room? I know. Luckily, it's not on on the hottest day of the year. Was, I don't know if it's the hottest day. <laughs> Dude, yesterday was like 82 at like 9, 30, 10, oh, 30 p.m. so hot. And, I was like, and this, this whole week, hardcore. because of Totus Tuus with my daughter, I'm not up in the mountains where it's normal. Um, so I've got to deal with what all you chumps are dealing with. Well, y'all, speaking of what chumps. we're dealing with, oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Who are you, dude? Um, well, the Israelites are chumps in these readings. Yeah, dude. So there's something. We're entering into the 14th Sunday in Boom. ordinary time. Yeah, you bet we are. And um, we're going to start this bad Oscar off with Ezekiel. <clears throat> oh, are we going for it? Oh, man. Okay, that, so 14th Sunday in ordinary time. Yep. First reading is Ezekiel, mm-hmm. chapter 2, verses 2 to 5. Indeed. Our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 123, verses 1 through 2, 2, 3 through 4, and our response to self is from 2, C, and D. That's <laughs> complicated. That is very complicated. And then our segundo lectura is... Left my wallet in El, El Segundo. Do you the, know that one? Oh, yeah, dude. You know the whole thing, though. I do. Dude... I don't know if I want to promote. You just lost your microphone. <laughs> it just literally pooped out on it. <laughs> it did. It just was like, Mer. that was ridiculous. I can't get this microphone to stay. Oh, in the you right have position. mine then. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh good. This is welcome to my life every week. <laughs> oh, 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 man. Times are hard. So, Second Corinthians twelve seven to ten. Yeah, indeed. And then our gospel is coming from Mark, still in the Gospel of Mark, chapter six, verses one through six, which takes up exactly where we left off last week. Does it? I thought we were in chapter four last week. No, remember how there, there was like the little girl? Clearly, I don't remember. But and yeah, I, oh, speaking of little girls, um, we have a, sh- a sh- well, not a shout out so much. Sorry, that sounded weird. But talk trust to me, trust talk me. To me. me. Um, we got a message on Facebook. I didn't really realize how to check messages on Facebook. So for all of you who have been sending them to me, <laughs> because my phone won't let me because it automatically goes to my personal Facebook thing. And then I'm told there's a message on the Linky Guys page and I can't. So anyway, there's messages here. My favorite message, although I have to... Did you see my favorite message? I, I don't... It just says, hey, Bill, hope you get this one. Do you have the listing format for Lance's Brands? Inclusion on my book. Credit will be given to you. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. I had to read it like three times. I'm like, I'm not Bill. I'm not Bill. That's all right. And this is that's weird. Anyway, but uh, a word from Isaac Fuller. Did you read this one? No, Maybe. I've read none of these. Oh. <laughs> I don't know how to Guys, do it myself. Please, please keep sending us messages. I figured it out this morning. It's great. <laughs> Yay. Um, but Isaac Fuller uh, sent us a little message about um, the meaning of Talitha Kum in, oh. um, in Mark. So remember, he says, little girl, I say to you, rise. So because I just love this because we're, we're kind of nerds about grammar and language and all these things. So Isaac kind of did some digging into the reading and into the grammar of this and the Hebrew and the Greek um, because Mark's the only one. I think Mark's the only one who actually says that, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe. But um, 
the the wording, the Greek wording that Mark actually used, he says, yes, it does mean young girl, technically. He says, but it's actually, um, grammatically, it, it's kind of a sweet euphemism, probably kind of a, a pejorative. Um, so he says the words actually translate to something like little lamb or like little sweetheart. Like it, it's, a, it's, a, it's this term of endearment. It's not oh. just, hey, small girl. <laughs> hey, yeah. But it's like, hey, little lamb or hey, sweetheart, hey, sweetie. That kind of a thing, which sounds kind of weird until you're like, oh, wow, those words coming out of Jesus's mouth. So it, ju- it just shows such a personal, um, gentle, I, I don't know, I was, I was really moved by it reading this. And I just thought it was kind of cool because it's, it's it, especially if it's properly translated as something like little lamb and you've got the good shepherd who's doing this and saying this. It's just kind of beautiful. So, you know, because it's one of those passages that you can just, I, I've read a million times. I've never thought anything about what he calls her. I'm just like, oh, he calls her a little girl. That's what she is. Yeah, yeah, because Mark about, transliterates it for yeah, us. But I didn't think about him addressing her as a little child in a sweet, um, you know, way that you would address a small child out of this loving kind of I, I, condescending in a good way, you know, going down to her love. I don't know. I just thought it was beautiful. Dude, me too. I nothing uh, else to say. Thanks, Fullerton. Is it Fullerton? Uh, Isaac Fuller. Fullerton is a city in California. <laughs> Isaac Fuller. Word to you, dude. Word to you, Isaac. Thank you, though, for that. Um, and uh, yeah, if, if you guys have insights like that, that was just a cool insight. Please send us those things and let us know because we always want to learn more from you. So, dude, let's let's jump in. What do you think about that? All right, Ezekiel. So this passage is coming from the very beginning of the book of Ezekiel. Um, so this is really Ezekiel's call. Have we, we talked much about Ezekiel? You know, Maybe a long time ago. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we've, we've hit some dry bones. We hit some visions. <laughs> I don't think we did talk about the dry bones. I think that's just all anyone remembers from <laughs> Ezekiel. I know, because them dry bones, them dry bones. The, I was going to try to rewrite the song with all the tribes of Israel as they're connected to the, the <laughs> Levi's connected to the... Zebulon. Zebulon's, Zebulon's connected, connected to, to Naphtali. This is dumb. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Father Peter and I are in a weird space today, and I feel like every joke I've made, you're just giving me polite laughs. Dude, I'm loving you, man. I made umlaut jokes this morning. Once you have to resort to joking about umlauts and things. <laughs> From that glue. <laughs> glue bot. Anyway, um, so this is Ezekiel's call. It's when the Lord calls him to be a prophet. And basically, the context of Ezekiel, he's the one who has, he's probably witnessed Jerusalem. Be, so remember the exile, right? I so Babylon it. comes in and destroys Jerusalem because they've been unfaithful. They've turned away from the covenant, away from God. God has warned them continually through the prophets, especially Isaiah and Jeremiah, saying this destruction's coming. They don't listen. They turn their backs. It comes. And Ezekiel is now asked, it's kind of interesting what, it's it's sort of beautiful, I suppose. You expect prophets coming and warning them about things to come. Yeah. But that's not totally Ezekiel's role. He's not really warning them about stuff that's coming. He, he is, and he will talk about things that are to come. But he's more, he's a prophet in the moment. It's already happened. They've already lost Jerusalem. There's things going on back home still. There's more destruction that's happening. But he's not saying, hey, this is coming. He's saying, hey, this is here. Here's how we need to work through it. Here's how we deal with what is present. Yeah. Which is kind of a neat way to think about what the role of a prophet is. It's not just saying, hey, watch out because something's coming down the line. When we, and then what happens you know, to us poor schmucks when we're actually in the disaster that we've brought upon ourselves? Well, God still wants to reach out and give us comfort. He still wants to take us by the hand. He still wants to help us work through it, realize what we've done wrong, yes. but he wants to take us by the hand. And that's Ezekiel's job. So he's writing this in exile. He's up in Babylon. He's with the first wave probably of exiles who've gone up there. And he's going to try to make some sense out of things, which again is kind of a beautiful thing. So here at the beginning of his, uh, of his calling, it says this. The Lord spoke to me 
I'm sorry, as the Lord spoke to me, the spirit entered into me. By the way, you'll see this frequently in the Old Testament. The spirit, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, will frequently um, come and rest on people for a particular period of time. So kings are often, you'll you'll hear him explain, described as the spirit came and rested on David or it came and rested on Saul or Samuel or, or, or Ezekiel here, right? And something to be noted, so the, the Holy Spirit's very present in the Old Testament, but it's, um, I just think it's worth noting from the get-go, what we have as Christians blows so far out of the water anything that any of the greatest Old Testament figures could have ever dreamt of. They have the Holy Spirit rest on them for a time during their mission. We have at our baptism the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for perpetuity that is in us forever, unless we remove it through mortal sin and stuff, but then we can get it back. That's unheard of. So the spirit comes and rests on people and and empowers them. It doesn't live in them for the rest of their lives though. So just to recognize, wow, we're in a better place than even Ezekiel was. Which is really, really phenomenal. It's pretty cool. And and, uh, I think it's important to note too is... um, this notion of upon, so the spirit mm. coming upon in the Greek, it's actually in the Septuagint Greek, it's actually upon, not necessarily it's not into, in, into mm. just to, just as far as is it keeping apo? the consistent. It's a um, epemi, epemi, oh, yep. upon, yep, interesting. So it came rested upon me, not into. Yeah, that's interesting because yeah. that is true. Uh, and it set me on my feet. <laughs> he got me on my feet. Set That's what the Holy feet. Spirit is supposed to do to us, right? Absol- Get us on our feet. Absolutely, which I think is actually a really interesting thing because he becomes actually a symbol of the nation of Israel. Who are on their feet. They're moving. They're running. They're running. Uh, yeah, but, that's but good. They've been knocked over, but it's actually where it's time for movement. Well, one of the other kind of cool things about the book of Ezekiel, the book kind of, does it start? It starts with this weird image of, um, of this chariot. Do you remember that? There's an image of all no. these animals and then an image of a chariot that's flying around with these burning wheels. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. What's that all yeah, about? Yeah, the, the vision. Yeah, and really what, what this vision is all about. So if you're realizing what's happening here, Israel has just been taken into captivity. The people of God have lost the temple. They've lost the presence of God among them. They've lost their city. They've lost their king. They've been stripped of everything. They've been hauled off into slavery. And then Ezekiel, in that situation, gets this image, this vision of a chariot on wheels kind of moving around, Hmm. which is God's subtle way of saying, look, I know you lost the tabernacle. I know you lost the temple. I know you think you lost my presence. My presence is not bound by a building. This is what I've asked you to do. I've asked you to build this so I can dwell there among you, but I'm not bound by that. Look, God's on wheels. So just as Ezekiel is now put on his feet, he's also just been shown, look, God's on wheels, which means wherever you are led or wherever you lead yourself through your own sin, I'm going to chase after you. I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to find you. Um, which is really pertinent, I think, for what God says to Ezekiel next. So he says, I heard the one who was speaking to me, son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites. Well, wait a minute, I'm already among the Israelites. All right, well, go talk to them. Rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have revolted against me to this very day. Um, this very day, they're, they're even in exile, in other words. They're still revolting, even though they should have seen their punishment. I've punished them. They're still rebelling. Um, they're hard of face, they're obstinate of heart. Are they to whom I am sending you? But you shall say to them, thus says the good, the Lord God. And whenever they heed or resist, and whether they heed or resist for their rebellious house, they shall know that a prophet has been among them. So in other words, he's called to say, hey, look, we've sort of made our bed. We're lying in it. Things are weird. I'm here to call you out anyway. You might be thinking, well, it's already happened. What? How could it get any worse? How could it get any 
different than this. And he's come to say, no, I, I want to show you what God is doing. I want to show you how you got here. Israel's never going to be able to get really out of slavery, maybe physical slavery, but not the slavery of their own hearts, unless they realize how they got into slavery in the first place. Why are we here? Why has God stripped all these things from us? Um, I'm, just, I'm, I'm part of my hesitation. I'm, I'm, I can't not speak to what's happening in our culture. You know, the Supreme Court case, all, all sort. There's all sorts of. I mean, there's so much, our, our nation's falling apart around us in so many ways. Yeah. Um, culturally and racially and sexually and all sorts of things are just they're just weird. Yeah. And I think it's really tempting to be like to want to be like the people in Ezekiel's time and say, "What the heck happened?" Right. Yeah. And and even worse, and what the people in Ezekiel's time also do, which is, "God, why have you done this? Why right. did you do this? Why did you allow this to happen? Where are you?" Are you not, you know, this is getting ridiculous. The culture is falling apart all around us. And the answer that Ezekiel gives is, look, you brought this upon yourself, for one thing. You've been sinful. You've brought it upon yourself. You know, we have not been, at times, the church that we're called to be. The church is the church. The gates of hell will never prevail against it. But we individuals have not, we have not evangelized the world as we were called to. We have not taught our children necessarily as we should have. We haven't been the light to the world. We haven't loved those around us. We haven't forgiven adequately. We haven't shown God's mercy. We just, we just haven't. And in a lot of ways, we've brought the consequences of our culture. But the good news for us in the midst of it is that, look, God's still there. Even if you can't see him, even if you're getting spit upon like that priest in New York, God is actually still present. He's not moving and he's set us on our feet. And what our job is, is to go out, show God's love, show God's mercy in the culture. And as Ezekiel is told, whether you, whether the world heeds us or resists us, the, the point is that they know that a prophet has been among them. They might reject us. They might accept us. They might say, wow, that, I've never heard Christianity articulated that way. I've never heard about Jesus the way that you're saying it. I still think it's dumb. Or I really want to hear more. Whether they heed it or resist it, what they should know is, wow, that person has spoken something that I haven't heard before. That person is speaking with a voice and with an authority that the media doesn't give me or that I don't hear on TV or I'm not hearing from my friends or I'm not hearing over at the bar. That should be the Christian life. Does that make sense? does sort I think, of i think that what's happening too is ezekiel i mean i mean as we're hearing he is in a people who are filled with pride yeah and and pride is the uh undue attachment to one's own excellence whether hmm. or not that is actually excellence or not <laughs> right. it, 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 right. it, what happens is that, that huh. the people that he is among have become totally self-referential uh-huh. The, the, they look only to themselves as the arbiters of what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. I, I don't understand what you're saying. Explain <laughs> a culture that's like that. I don't even. I'm know. just kididding. But and 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 so he says that you know what who what is a rebel? What is somebody who has rebelled against the uh, uh, the father and transgress, transgressed these ideas? I mean, this is the ancient story that we're facing. I yeah. mean, this is this is what happened in the garden, and what happened in Ezekiel's time. It what it's what happens today. Is yeah. that, is that we become, we want to become gods. We don't want to actually have to have a reference outside of ourselves. And what does it mean to become gods? It means exactly what it says in the first pages of Genesis. We decide what's right and wrong. Right. We decide what's good and evil. That's up to us to arbitrate what's good and what's wrong. It doesn't matter what came before us. It doesn't matter what God has said. We decide, which is a, a very tenuous and dangerous place to be. But again, that's nothing new. It's the story of the Bible from the beginning. So, I mean, if you're freaked out by what's going on in the world, it's not new. This is the same old story, just getting replayed in a different context. And what God wants us to know is that, look, I've dealt with this before. I'll deal with it again. There's going to be consequences. There's going to be fallout, but I've dealt with it. I'm God. I'll deal with it again. Yep. And there's, and and this is the thing is they will know that the prophet was among them. 
Yeah. What and and one of the things I think we have to always make sure that we understand too is prophecy is not primarily about telling the future. Uh, it, absolutely, it's about telling the truth. Yes, that is actually what a prophet is. Well, it, it's not even that. Yes, that's true. It, it's fundamentally. It's not even that. Are you just going to no, diss my point? No, I'm here? not. It is that. It's giving. A, I mean, a, a biblical pro- prophet, small capital P, shows us what God is doing. Right. It's not, again, what he's going to do. Sometimes it's that. But it says, hey, look, this is reality. Yes. Here's what God is up to. Here is, tr- I mean, yeah, that is that is what. But it gives us an insight into what God is up to. What what are his, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm just talking around the same point. Yep. He talks truth. Yeah, you're right. Fine, Father Peter. <laughs> but really, it, it's it's a matter of, he tells us what what is, re- this is reality. This Despite is reality. what yes. you're creating or what you're making or what you think is true, here's reality. And what is reality? Reality is God. He is reality. That fundamentally is what he is. So it gives us an insight into who he is and what he's doing. Right? Yeah, which is, I think, actually a sweet lead-in, if you don't have anything else, into the psalm. I got it. Yeah, go for it. Did you read this today? I did not read that. Oh, my gosh. It blew my mind. There's a a book that we both, well, I like it more than you. (laughs) Yeah, you do. He's hit or miss. I I read the fathers on on the psalms, personally. I read a Greek Orthodox priest called Patrick Henry Reardon. It's a book called Christ in the Psalms. But his insights today were fantastic. So you you go and then I'll I'll go. Well, what happens is that is that as long as we're looking to ourselves, like this is what Ezekiel is is mm. who's sent sent to. As long as we're looking to ourselves, we're gonna get we're gonna get off. It's yeah. it's it's just a, it's the natural reality. Yeah. Whereas if we say I look to you, I lift up my eyes. Yeah. Oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens, which was what we're seeing in Ezekiel. Yep. Um, the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, recognizing that we are subject people um, to to God, and like yeah. that, there's actually a peace and a glory in the midst of that. I mean, that's like that's what we you know we look to this reality, and like and then the Lord has mercy yes. upon us, and like mercy is not just that it's it's forgiveness. Mercy is like an invitation into the wider reality. I think that that's yes. It's 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 like you know what I'm gonna have mercy come on in come into the party and you're like oh dog yeah seriously love it so love it's it. it's it's a relinquishing of pride into humility and and it's and and that's the story of Jesus saying like I'm gonna take sit at the lower spot actually this is funny I went to a wedding recently and I wanted to sit at the head of the table a head table and I went <laughs> over there and I was like I was like uh, don't you usually get to sit at the head table yeah, as the priest I do and and um and so I, I went over and I was like uh. Hey, can I, can I? And I was like, "Where am I sitting?" And they were like, "Not here." And oh. I was like, "I was like, I was like, I just lived a parable." Oh, I was like, "Thank you," because I tried to sit at the head spot and I just got jacked, oh, which was so different the than the other w- way around. I just have to tell you. Oh, Father Peter, I know, man. I should. That's sad. That I, makes my heart hurt. Well, no, I didn't make my heart hurt because I was super thankful. Actually, where was your seat? It was in the back. Yeah, it was just like with some you will folks. be in the restroom. I actually got to sit with a really, really fun table. See. Yep, and all things work for the good for those who love him. So, so tell me about what Reardon's got so, going on. This. Well, no, it's he just gives two two stories. So, I mean, what what you're saying, the idea of humility, of of not looking at ourselves. So, again, the theme of this whole psalm is looking toward God. He brings up two important, a couple important stories in which people look up to the heavens, which is another way of translating the psalm. I lifted my eyes to the heavens, and the one that he well. The two stories he brings out, number one is the story of Susanna. Remember in the book of Daniel? A lot of our, our Protestant friends, they, they don't have this story in their books of Daniel. Isn't Susanna the one who, like, the, that there's a trial between these yeah. two guys who try to go to the garden with the girl? Yeah, and then... basically, they're, they're these two elders, right? These two elders, leaders in the, in the, in the community. 
who not necessarily Mormons, grant you. Oh my goodness. I know. I'm sorry. There's a I I had a, a good Mormon friend in high school who gave me a, a mixtape, as all good Mormons do, as all of us did in high school. Anyway, but there was this there was this Mormon rap on it, Ooh. and it was the best thing I've ever heard in my life. And it was sung by Elder Rhyme and Elder Funk. Yeah, and it was, that's just what's playing in my head right now. <laughs> my name is Elder Rhyme, and this is Elder Funk. Dude, it's so good because <laughs> it's just making fun of themselves of, of like. Elder cussing and yeah, <laughs> keeping it elder, keeping it, keeping it, keeping it clean. Anyway, um, anyway, Su- Susanna. <laughs> so Susanna is taken by these these Jewish elders. They Susanna, want to they Susanna. want to do bad things. She is virtuous and she is chaste and she doesn't let them. They get ticked off, so they take her to trial for adultery. And they say, look, she tried to do these things. She's like, no, I didn't. And they say, yes, you did. And she's put on trial. And it's this. They're gonna kill her. It actually says, and it's actually kind of cool. It actually says in the book in in Daniel um, that do, 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 that yeah they it says they well the the kind of the climax of the story is Daniel shows up and intervenes and and gives the truth and he gives this testimony which proves them wrong. But it says they cried out in a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They ran at him with one. Wait, that's Stephen. <laughs> oh, Father Peter. <laughs> anyway, the the point is that um, it actually says they don't. Where the heck is it? Well, I can't find it now. It's in the book of Daniel. It basically says they took their eyes off of God. Literally, these elders yes. took their eyes off of God. Susanna standing on trial, being falsely accused, um, being told that she is this awful thing that she's not. She turns her eyes to heaven, and it's in her turning her eyes to heaven that she receives vindication. Um, but here's the catch of the story, I think, which I think is kind of cool because there's another New Testament parallel to this because you might imagine Susanna, okay, she's been falsely accused. These guys have turned their eyes away from God. They've turned them toward themselves. They're accusing Susanna of doing this thing she didn't do. They're calling her all sorts of terrible names that she's not. She turns her eyes to heaven and she is vindicated. But what if the story had ended differently? What if she had not been vindicated? What if Daniel hadn't shown up at the last minute with this beautiful testimony that proves everybody wrong? I think even if that hadn't happened, Susanna still wins because she keeps her self-dignity. She keeps her eyes focused on God. She knows that the things of this world are actually passing. And the, the parallel story to this is the story of Stephen, right? Who, when Stephen, the first martyr in Acts chapter 7, yeah. and we're told that when Stephen is being martyred, he turns his eyes toward heaven. The same lines as the Psalms. He turns his eyes to God and they cast spears in him and they stoned him and he dies. He still wins, though. And, and that's the point, I think. Um, we're not asked to be victorious in this life. We're not asked to make all of our enemies look like stupid idiots. We're asked to turn our eyes to God. And if we do that, we will always and every time be victorious, even if it's not seen in this, in this life. Right. Absolutely. And your idea of, so I've been thinking about, there's some priest, he's, he's, uh, some priest on Facebook and, and Twitter and stuff. And he talked about walking past this, this gay pride parade over the weekend. And he was spat upon by these two guys. And he was clear. He's like, these don't represent everybody, obviously, but I was spit upon. He, he has this grant. He's like, I deserved worse. You know, he recognizes his own humility. But if you think about it, and if you think about what the world wants to do with us, just as Christians, the, the question of the Supreme court aside, just in general, we're, we're frowned upon. We're not looked at very well. If we have our eyes down and we're focused on ourselves, yeah. if we are to be spit upon, either literally or figuratively, that spit more or less goes in our head or our hair or someplace like our shirt, right? Mm-hmm. If you have your eyes raised up to heaven and you're spit upon, where does that spit land? Probably in your face. Smack in your face. 
pointing our eyes toward heaven, looking toward God, actually makes us more vulnerable. I mean, you can see it in the physical stature of what that does. It makes us more vulnerable to the abuse of the world. Mm. But that's precisely what we're asked to do because it's in making ourselves vulnerable in that way. Instead of let's circle the wagons, let's hide out, let's talk about what idiots everybody else out there are, what terrible, awful people they are. Let's go out, let's raise our eyes to heaven. Let's walk tall. Let's recognize who we are, who have been reconciled to Jesus Christ. Let's turn our eyes to heaven. Let's take the spit. Let's take the punishment. Let's not spit back in their faces because that's actually not the example Christ gave us on the cross. But it's he did, opening he ourselves not, he up. He did not shield his face from buffets and spitting. Why? Because he's looking up. Because he's looking up to heaven. You can't look up and defend yourself from those sort of things at the same time. I think they're not mutually exclusive. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to stretch the metaphor too far. Absolutely, which is actually... But it's interesting. I mean, but that's that's why, how we get into Corinthians, actually. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, where, okay. Where, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where St. Where Saint Paul is, is going into this place where he's saying, I am suffering mm. and this is actually the gift to me yeah he, like, and remember the context of second corinthians is everybody saying you stink you're not a legitimate apostle you're a terrible preacher because you suffer because you look bad because you take all this abuse you're always in prison and you're not well spoken blah 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 and and he's saying i have this thorn in my side and it's been given to me so that i don't get filled with myself right so that so that i'm not like the last line my um, too long has our soul been sated with the scorn of those who are at ease and the contempt of the proud. Too long has our souls been sated with contempt, with the mockery of the arrogant and the contempt of the proud. Wow, that's powerful. And so he's saying, like, you know what? Okay, you know what? I, I am filled up. I mean, I'm I'm mocked. I don't like. This is the reality. But the reason why this is good for me, like, dude, who says? you know what, I suffer. And the reason why this suffering is good for me, I mean, like that perspective alone is a really huge worldview changer. So like, like in the midst of, like I, the church, I, I've been starting, you can hear it um, going on. I mean, even Archbishop Gomez was on his Twitter feed. Los Angeles. Los Angeles. He was, uh, he was saying that, um, you know, the, the truth of the church is that this, the, that persecution is its natural state. Mm. The seed of the martyrs is the, I mean, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Tertullian. Which is, which is what's happening is that like, no, our natural re- relationship with the world is like Ezekiel. You know what? Yes. The, the world is always going to be rebellious and this yes. is the, this is the reality. But the, why is this allowed for us? Well, partly because yeah. we ourselves are, we're meant to actually be identified with Christ yeah. and to walk with him. And, and he's like, and my, my, my grace is sufficient you for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Yeah. Dude, out of all the lines in scripture, it says, when I am weak, I am strong. This is one of those moments to where we don't, you don't believe it until you hit it. Yeah. You don't like, like, like to believe that when I am weak, I am strong. Like it's just this nice platitude until you're actually in the moment, and you're saying like, "Is this is this really true? Right? I, am I actually going to believe this or not?" And I'll tell you, I have a hard time believing it a lot of times. Yeah. And then that moment when I do, I'm like, "Oh, Saint Paul! Right? I get this for one brief moment. I yeah. understand that that even even a, a church that's experiencing this in a large way, like like." we're experiencing weakness with Christ yes. in this particular moment and that's okay. Absolutely. And we're being spat upon. We're being told that we're a bunch of idiots and bigots and everything else. And, and so, uh, okay. But, but it says I, and three times I begged the Lord <laughs> that this should stop. And that's the thing that I think that's important though, because 
when we do so, and again, we don't have to keep talking about the things that are happening in the culture, but just we all suffer. We're all going to get put in these bad situations. What St. Paul shows us and what I kind of love about it, it's very, very human. Because okay. he says, look, I begged God three times. I didn't just say, okay, God's letting me suffer. I'm just going to suck it up and take it because that's what a good Christian does. He's like, no, I asked God to take it away. I begged him because it, it it's not just Paul being like, I'm going to put on this good face and pretend that nothing's going wrong and everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. He's like, no, I begged that this be taken away. And it wasn't. And so I dealt with it. And I that, got up and I walked on. And the response is, is that when you are weak, you are strong. Right. And, and you're like, I don't understand. And, and I'm sure Paul was like, dude, I don't get this, Lord. I well, don't, I don't grasp this. And then he, and then when he does, he does. Yeah. And that even, I mean, that's the whole, that's the other point of Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians is literally Paul working through his own suffering and coming to the conclusions that he comes to. Mm. It's a beautiful letter because he's literally working through it on the pages. Mm. It's very, very human. Um, yeah, and it's just not these niceties. Like, this is this is what it means to suffer, and it's good, and here's why. He's like, no, I didn't get it. And I asked God, and I begged him, and I pleaded, and I whined, and I cried, and it was awful. But then I realized at the end that this is this is his will. Yeah, I was hanging out with a seminarian last night, and, it, and just talking about the priesthood. And it was like, yeah, this is pretty hard. And you realize that you don't have what you need, and that's actually the the right way. Yeah. And as long as you as long as you think that you're supposed to have what you think you're supposed to have, then you're then you're not released in your priesthood yet. And the Lord is going to start to to wrangle some stuff from you until you're like, okay, I'm weak. And then He's like, okay, now let's go. It's this thing though. It's just so. And I mean, I know you experience this. But I, just as a priest, but I mean, I, I'm thinking about my own life and, you know, I loved, I loved being a focused missionary and I loved when I went to the Augustine student. I, I loved having all these figures and these mentors in my life and people that I look to and be like, I want to be like that. I want to be like Curtis Martin. I want to be like Tim Gray. I want to do these things. You know, I have to be like Scott Hahn. I, I had all these great figures to look to. Yes. And now I've reached this point in my life where I've got this we I've got this weird life. Okay, I, I run this outdoor program with two little kids who have their own issues to deal with, and I've got this job in Boulder, working at the University of Colorado, and trying to do this doctoral program for this thing that I don't know anybody else is doing. And I've got this life all of a sudden. I'm like, I have no one to look to to show me how to do this. Right. Like, how do I live this weird life that you've given me? And yes. there's no example to be like, I want to. I'll act like that. And there's nothing. And I know you've got the exact same thing. Like, okay, it's great in seminary and it's great to know these other priests and these bishops, but nobody's got to run the parish that you have to run. Nobody has to deal with the University of Colorado in the way that you do. And all of a sudden you're like, I miss just having someone who I could look to. Right. I want to look and be like, I'll do that. I'll be like that person. And when that's stripped away from you, you literally have no other choice but to do what the psalm says, which is I look to God. I turn my eyes to the only place I can because there's nowhere else to look. There's no example set for me. And we all come to that point where the examples just kind of fade away. I mean, we'll always have the saints. We always have mentors in our life. We always have those things. We always have people who inspire us and just say, dude, that's great. I'm super happy for you, Curtis, that you're leading a huge uh, organization towards the evangelization of the world. But it's not what I... Nobody's living your life. No, they don't know. They don't make maps and... (laughs) And try <laughs> right. to and, and try to uh, for pil- like who's obsessed with pilgrimage and art right. and woodwork and metalwork. It's then, a lonely thing to is. recognize your own call and your own personal vocation is a very lonely reality. Until you realize I actually do have somewhere to look, and I have only one place to look because nothing else is going to work. Yeah, I, my my faith got pretty beat up for a long time when I was younger because I put my faith in the people who I was looking to. Yeah, like I'm going to be like that, and then when I saw something that just didn't work out. <sighs> 
what do you do? Your faith goes into a tailspin because yeah. that's not where it was supposed to be in the first place. Again, we'd be inspired. That's good. But we have, we, there's only one place to look. And that actually, I think, brings us to the gospel. Boom. I was about way. to do the same thing. Ooh, I knew you were. I was like, I want to do that first. Uh, yeah. You, you, I looked to you to I do that. I feel like this is a very somber podcast today. I feel like it's a very personal one, too. I yeah. feel like we're just kind of talking to people from the heart. From the heart. That's really beautiful, and that's because we love you guys. Indeed. All, so, all 9,000 of you. <laughs> Except for one. We'll let you figure out who it is. <laughs> no, just kidding. You! <laughs> yes, it, somebody's like, oh, no, no I it's, knew me. it's me. I would be thinking it was me, because that's how my heart works. <laughs> so, so Jesus just raised this girl from the dead, right? Yep. So it's funny. I mean, if you put this in context with last week, he just raised this gal from the dead, this little girl, this little lamb. Um, people are probably like, whoa, that's a big deal. Yes. <laughs> Everybody thought he was an idiot at first, remember, and then he proves them wrong. And then it says he departed from there and he went home. You know, when you, and I don't know what's going on in Jesus' heart or in his head, but you know, you've just done these big things. It's, yeah, you've had a hard day. People have ridiculed you. You've had some successes and you're like, you've go, I just you've want been to go through home. a storm. You've preached to everybody. Yeah, I just went through a huge storm and I just want to go home and see mom. You know, yeah. I just want to hang out at my house. And yeah. that's where he go. And again, I don't know if that's why he's going there, but he does. So it says he departed there and he went to his native place and he was accompanied by his disciples. And I, again, he is fully human and I don't know where his emotions are at, but I just wonder, I'm just going to go home for a little bit. And then this happens. I just had a thought for a second. Little lamb arise. Mm. He, maybe he had this vision of his own death and resurrection and thought of his mom and just wanted to actually, and, and like, and like wanted to just love mom a little bit. Wow. Cause, Interesting, because he saw this relationship between parent and child, wow. and, and was almost like comforting her out of a place that she like that she didn't know yet. Oh, interesting. I don't know. I just I just had that insight while we, we were can't just discount the fact that he has all these human emotions. They're all at play. Why right. not? Yeah, it's an interesting be- meditation. Be- because we're just about to go into this whole question of family. Yeah, because he he restores a girl to her family yeah and now he goes and and he's in his native place and they're like D- dude i heard all this amazing stuff about you and they're like and then they get confused well yeah so it says when the sabbath came he began to teach in the synagogue he's like well i've been teaching in every other synagogue so why not, why not here too right and many who heard him were astonished and they said where did this man get all this? So you get the impression that they're they're digging it at first, but then they're like, well, wait a second, where did he get? Who does he think he is? What kind of wisdom has been given him? What mighty deeds were wrought by his hands? He's is he not the carpenter? He's just the carpenter who lives up the street. He's the son of Mary. We hold, know this guy. Which hold on, I want to actually just say something. This is a total aside for a second, but um, I was I was researching the word tecton, yep. which is the carpenter. What, what we would right. interpret in, in in um, but it's where we get if there's a master builder, they're an art. Arch- arch- architecton. Really? Architect is we get, we get the word from an overarching builder, which is an architecton. That's cool. So, so I, it, I think it helps to get an, uh, an insight into what the word tecton means. Cool. Is, is it's, it's a designer builder um, contractor, but then an architecton is somebody who wow. actually has the full vision and understands and can supervise a bunch of other tectons. Well, his only says tecton, though, right? Right. It doesn't say architecton. It does okay. not say architecton. Okay, good. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just was looking at that. Okay. Yeah, so there he is. And there, you know, basically he's doing these great things. He's speaking great words. They're hearing about the things that he's done, and nobody buys it. Right. Which I, I think it's fascinating to think about. Well, okay, so so take this for what you will. And that, so nobody buys it. You want to think of little little boy Jesus growing up. He's God, right? Right. 
so I, I think I've, I've an insight and it could be wrong, but an, a new insight into the humility of Jesus, of the God man. So you, you imagine him growing up and doing all these things. And he's obviously just like this. He's obviously special, right? He's obviously smarter than everybody else. He's obviously kinder than everybody else because he's God, right? Right. It just makes sense. And so you should get the impression that when he comes back and they hear he's doing great things, the response should be, oh, of course. Like he, we could always tell there was something about him. Yeah, absolutely. But what if that's not true? What if God's humility was so great, he actually didn't make himself look any more special than anybody else? Because when he comes back and they're like, this guy's not, he's just Jesus. Like he's, he's not, he's nobody. Like nobody's like, oh yeah, we expected that. Everyone's like, what are you, what are you, what are you kidding me? This guy? Dude, what, what if the smallness though, yeah. and the humility and the and the the um, the invisibleness in a certain sense that God chooses to take on is even such that He doesn't allow the people around Him to think Him more than just anybody else. Well, so Saint Thomas, I, does that make sense? Yeah, Saint okay. Thomas Aquinas. Um, Saint Thomas Aquinas, he doesn't defy pride as such. Actually, what he does is he he mixes pride and vanity right. into a thing he calls vainglory. Pride, normally uh, distinguished, would be the interior attachment to one's own excellence. Okay. Vanity would be the manifestation in the world of one's own excellence. So what happens okay. is the interior disposition and the exterior proposition of vainglory is one and the same. Okay. So what you're saying is, because I really am seeing pride as what's linking all of what we're talking yes, about today together. for sure. Not Jesus' pride, but everyone else's Everybody pride. Everybody else's yeah. pride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so what, what would happen is that Jesus would not be concerned with the exterior manifestation of his own glory. And so, right. so, so you're saying even as a little child, like you, you would be, like, or a teenager, or, or an adolescent, all of it, as an adolescent, as as a tecton, like yeah. he he would, uh, you know, it's not like he would do things well, but it would not in a in an ostentatious capacity. He would like he's not an architecton; he's a tecton. Yes. He's like he's, he's just a tecton. He's like I'm going to actually work. I'm going to do some bricklaying, right? You know, I'm going to carve the stone. I'm going to do the wood. I'm going to make the table. It's not like it's going to be the it, like it's going to be perfectly well made. But I'm going to actually submit myself. Yes, even in games, even in the way that he could. Like Jesus was, could lose a pickup basketball game. Right. Imagine that. <laughs> right. Which is weird to me. To it's even weird, think about. but. Not because God is inferior in some way, but no. God submits him. He chooses to submit himself to not be able to do something. Right? Yeah. I mean, is it possible that Jesus sucked at basketball? Yes. Absolutely. I mean, but isn't that just a fact? I mean, it seems so trite. It seems so weird, but isn't that just a fascinating thought? It's a really, I really like thinking He's about not going to necessarily be the best soccer player on the field just because he's God, because he submitted himself. That's what St. Paul says in Philippians too, right? He became... In the form, he 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 emptied himself totally. He became a slave. Became a slave. Not just he doesn't just say he became found in the likeness of men, but he even lowered himself beyond that, being stripped even of that to humility on the cross. So I mean, why? I don't know. But this this reading again, not to put too much into it, but it's just a fascinating insight. Nobody's expecting that Jesus is going to be the Messiah. Nobody's expecting he's going to be this great rabbi, this great teacher. They're like, what him? That guy? Well, because he's just. Such a huge, another level of humility. Well, because he's pointing towards the Father. I mean, that's yes. the thing is, is that he, where did he get all of this? He's, right. he's actually teaching in the Sabbath. So he's submitting to the day. 
yeah. he's submitting yeah, to the yeah, synagogue yeah. system yeah, yeah, yeah. and and he's submitting the glory all to the father i mean Absolutely. like that's that like lord that you would be glorified yes that you would have all of these experiences yeah. and these expressions and and then he, and then but then he's like well i am a prophet but what is the, the role of a prophet it's to manifest the father's glory exactly right and so that like that, that's the crazy part is that like uh, you could uh, like misunderstand what he's doing yes and then absolutely. when you get it you're like oh well yeah and so what's the result of all this because i think this is the most fascinating that he was unable to do mighty works he was unable to do mighty works and we have to kind of be careful with the wording there yes was he unable to or did he choose not to i i actually think it's kind of both yeah. I mean, he has the ability because he obviously has been doing it. But, you know, we live in this world sometimes. I don't know if you've heard this or, or thought this, but I've had people even say this and good, you know, good people say, well, why doesn't God just show himself? Just do something, work a miracle, do something in our world so that people would recognize. No, why doesn't why don't we have a giant Eucharistic miracle at St. Thomas Aquinas some Sunday? So everyone would just once and for all realize, oh, that's Jesus. Wouldn't that be easier? But Dude, he doesn't do that. Well, this is the thing is like I, I've had some extraordinary graces in my life. And I tell people that the, the they don't want them, actually. Who? The, the people. Yeah. The, any, anybody, anybody. Anybody I talk to, like I had a dream that inspired me to become a priest. Yeah. Why did I have to have a dream? Because my heart was hardened. Hmm. And that it was the only way for the Lord to break through to me was not in the 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 ability to have navigation and 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 uh, suppleness in my soul to His movements in everyday sacramental experience and small right. small s like the whole of creation Psalm nineteen the heavens proclaim the glory yeah. of God and everything is making known His glory. No, I was I was all jacked up and I <sighs> like I like literally was so hardened that He had to wake me up. Yeah. And in that moment, like I'm, I'm thankful, but I don't want that for other people. I want them to be, actually just be able to pay attention to the fact that God is working profoundly. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Well, and He didn't do it to you in front of everybody. It wasn't no. like everybody sees that Father Peter has got this huge calling now. I mean, he, it was private. It was just for you. Even Saint Paul, right? It was kind of a private thing. It was just for Paul. It wasn't. Everybody can see. I'm gonna blow up this guy, and you know sometimes God does that. You know that? Do you remember the, the old movie signal. Song of Bernadette? Yeah, I loved. Song I used of to Bernadette. love saying. I still do love Song of Bernadette. It's a very long movie. Me too. But there's that line that the priest says um, as they're trying to determine is this actually miraculous or not, and this priest says, "I want to get it right." He says, "For those who believe, no explanation is necessary. For those who do not believe, no explanation is possible." So what we're seeing here, I think, is, you know, you want to be like, well, just show them a miracle, Jesus, and then they'll believe. Right. No, a magic trick is not going to make everybody's faith change. That's not what it's about. It's not Jesus saying, okay, if I, as long as I do these cool tricks, I'll do a couple card tricks, raise some people from the dead, everybody's going to believe then. It's going to be great. No, it's not a magic trick and everyone's going to believe. He actually needs the faith so that the miraculous has something. I mean... That woman with the hemorrhage last week, she was healed, not just because she was like, well, I guess everything's done. Oh, I accidentally touched this guy. I'm healed. Praise be to God. She already believed. Right. She reached out. She was. She had this miracle take place because she already believed it. It's like the Susanna thing. It's great that Susanna was finally vindicated in the end because of her faith, because she looked to God. She knew of her, her, her innocence. She knew of her own dignity and her place. She was vindicated by God, and that's wonderful. But what if she hadn't been? 
Right. It doesn't change the story. None. It doesn't change the story of this miraculous person hadn't shown up and worked this wonder. The right. story's the same because Stephen shows us that. Right. Stephen's glory is shown by the fact that God didn't actually step in to intervene. Right. And he died, and we didn't have a Stephen anymore. But God's glory isn't any less shown in that. It's not the miracles that are going to do it. It's the faith that allows the miracles to actually have meaning. Right. So if there's no faith behind it, it's just going to be a magic trick. So why bother? I'm not going to do that to these people. I mean, you wonder why, I feel like in biblical times, there was yeah. all sorts of miracles always going on all the time. All miracles, all the time, right? And now we live <laughs> in this time that there's just not. Like, there are things that happen, obviously. God is still working in the world, but you don't see these big, miraculous things in our world. And I think we're like, well, Bible times was different. It was just weird and thing. God just did big stuff. Could it be that we just have a world with hardened hearts? So God's not going to do magic tricks because our hearts aren't ready to receive them. And that if there was a mass conversion in our world, maybe we would see, maybe we would have the eyes to see more wonders that God actually wants to show. But he's not right now because we actually don't have the hearts to take it. We can't deal with it if he were to. Mm. That's what Jesus is saying. That's why he doesn't work any wonders in his hometown. Doesn't it say something? It says, it's actually pretty funny. It says something like, I healed a few sick people, but then I was at it. Yeah, yeah. He right? healed a few sick people and went around to the other villages. Yeah. And he was amazed. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Which God is amazed at something. God's like, what? Really? <laughs> really? Because like, again, God's humanity is yep. fully there. God can be amazed. Jesus can be amazed at He's something. He's like, oh my goodness. These guys. And, and I bet his heart was broken. I bet this, this idea of amazement is not just, wow, that's amazing. It's more of a heartbreak. Like, man, this is my people. These are my, this is my family. My family, my people, they're filled and with they pride. They don't care. And they're blinded and they're so attached to their and own And they hate excellence. me and they're calling me names. And then they're going to try For to what? kill me. Yeah. And again, so if you feel in the present culture, situation, that all of a sudden uh, people that you loved, people that you know, are all of a sudden looking at you different or calling you names, you're in good company. Yep. Now, sometimes people call us names because we're just being jerks. And Which that's a different matter. <laughs> that's a whole different matter. And that's real. Yep. But sometimes we're not. And sometimes we're called names anyway, like Jesus is. So take heart. Because remember, just like he set Ezekiel's feet up, he was also on wheels. And he's going to accompany us wherever it is. We just have only to look up and find him. So, there you go. There you go. Well, look up on that happy note. Yeah, you guys, thanks for joining us. God bless you. Enjoy the upcoming week. Indeed. And don't fake the phone. No. We'll see you next week. Okay. God bless you. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado www.thomascenter.org You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org See you next week.